0: Mr. Mason, we have finally reached that fabled episode 13 uh, that I thought we had got to last week, but we didn't in the end. But here we are. And what a show we have for our hearers. Would you like to give us a little run through of what they can expect from us today?
1: I would love to, as always, Millsy. So the episode 10 Mark Little interview went down so well with our hearers that we decided to get another interviewee for today's episode. So today we're going to be talking with Vince Bartram, former Premier League goalkeeper for Arsenal and a goalkeeper who made over 100 appearances, both for AFC Bournemouth and Gillingham and a few other clubs. So not only will we talk to him, but we'll also take our fourth instalment of Anorak vs Anorak. Indeed. I mean, you say we decided to get another interviewee, but I think it's more Vince decided to bless us with his time, don't you think? Well, yeah, Vince, Vince reached out. He had heard the uh, Hootenanny making waves in the podcast world and uh, didn't want to miss out on such an awesome opportunity.
0: This is all just a, a bold, straight lie. Anyway, here is our fantastic interview with Mr Vince Bartram.
1: Okay, welcome, everyone. I'm wearing my AFC Bournemouth goalkeeper top today for a very special reason. We have a very special guest today, Vince Bartram. Uh, thank you very much for giving up your time to speak to us today. It's an absolute
2: honour to have you here. How are you doing? Yeah, good guys. Thank you. A bit, bit of rush been out watching Littleham uh, play football tonight, but uh, yeah, got back just in time. Well, a bit late, so apologies for that. <laughs> but uh, yeah.
1: No problem. So we, we want to jump straight into the thick of it with our quick fire round and then we'll move on to speak a little bit about your career. How does that sound?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll try and answer quick fire but um yeah, might not be as quick coming back. <laughs> I was a goalkeeper and not the quickest. he? take us away. All right then. Question number 1. Vince, what would you do if you weren't a footballer? Oh, crikey. Who knows? <laughs> you want quick answers, not not <laughs> a clue. I, I mean my dad was an accountant and company director, cost management accountant. I I you know, in between sort of uh, retiring and and sort of getting into coaching. I tried a couple of alternative careers. I found out that I wasn't very good at selling motor cars, working for the Vauxhall dealership in Bournemouth. And um, I worked for William Hill in betting shops. And so, yeah, <laughs> no
0: idea. That will please our accountant listeners. I know we've got a few hearers who, who are... Accountants, so that will please them. Mason, you're sort of involved in the in the area somewhere. I don't know.
1: You do numbers
0: stuff, I, I believe.
1: Number stuff is the uh, exact definition of my job.
2: Um, Vince, who was the best player you ever played against? Um, against uh, probably in on a professional football, you know, the likes of Zola. Played against him at Chelsea. Um, yeah, he was he was okay. Uh, for me, the the toughest opponent that came up against several times. Um, was uh, Alan Shearer. Uh, You know, he was the ultimate, you know, sort of number nine striker. You call him old-fashioned striker. Um, I'm sure he'd still, you know, still be as good today. Um, But, you know, he could shoot, he could head the ball. You know, he was physical, he was skillful, he got good touch. Um, So, you know, he, he was probably my toughest um, in terms of the the best, you know, someone like Zola you know, was a little little magician with the ball. I, I played a couple of uh, sort of uh, tournaments, sort of vets tournaments, and been lucky enough to do a few trips away with with the PFA. And I've played in some of these vets tournaments, sort of things. And you know, we I was in the Caribbean, and he he played in a little uh, tournament. and He did this body swerve, and I think half the crowd went for a Mars bar. Or, you know, it, it, you know yeah, he was he was unbelievable. And Di as well um, came across to him. Sorry, I'm waffling. I'm not very good at quick fire. No, that's, that's all right. Fine.
0: Yeah, we're happy to hear it. I mean, to hear stories about legends is is amazing.
2: So uh, what do you reckon, uh, favourite football team, Vince? As, as a kid uh, growing up, I was a West Brom fan. I was brought up in the Midlands, um, born in uh, Smethwick, or just outside of Birmingham. And my family were all West Brom people. And... Uh, season ticket holder, uh, grew up as a as a baggy, uh, you know, had great team, uh, Cyril Regis, Laurie Cunningham, Brendan Batson, Tony Gordon, the keeper, you know, so they they were they were my sort of heroes, um, and then sort of nowadays I, I look at I look at the teams that I play for. Uh, there's a saying once a gooner, always a gooner. so I've, I've I've got a soft spot for for the Arsenal. Um, and then I look at you know just the, the the clubs I played for. Obviously, living in Bournemouth, I have to keep an eye on them. But I work for Southampton now, so the you know, it's uh, a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of an interest in uh, my my career always been like that. So you know, first club was Wolves. Yeah, I was a West Brom fan. I live in Bournemouth and work at Southampton, so things like that. Uh, yeah, but as you know, as a kid, West Brom was my team. Brilliant. Um, best goalkeeper of all time, Seaman you know I, I was biased I worked with him, I was lucky enough to sort of train with him for four years um he he was he was almost too good that you know he did things in training and he just made it look simple and uh, yeah yeah there's there's a story I've got that i you know i know I, I can't really repeat it because it's a bit detrimental <laughs> to certain other people, but he, he you know he he made he made it look easy, and in a way, uh, I don't think he got the full respect um you know especially later on with his you know with the ponytail and england and stuff like that but you know when he was at his peak he was he was awesome he was you know he was my hero and i was trying to mm-hmm. displace him and you know he was that good uh, uh, you know there was no point well we'll we'll try and get the
0: story out of you later maybe uh, you know we'll give it a second <laughs> go uh Right. Uh the next question goes uh deep to the roots of, of our pod. Um a few episodes ago we discussed what coaches and managers wear on the touchline. If you were a coach, would you be more of a suit coach, would you be a track suit coach? What, what
2: what's your take on it? Uh, casual. Casual, probably a pair of jeans and trainers and a bit like I'm wearing now but no, definitely I wouldn't yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't be a suit manager. Um I wouldn't be what they are now some of the you know sort of straight out of burtons or whatever wherever it's called <laughs> nowadays but tracksuit or yeah training gear definitely good stuff uh
1: do you, did you have any pre-match
2: rituals or superstitions that you used to do No, <laughs> not really just try and relax um you know there's, there's certain things that uh nature needed to take care of that was probably one of them <laughs> that was the only uh the only thing that uh you know needed to make sure that uh, I was light as I was before a game, maybe, but, uh, (laughs) no, yeah, sorry, that's too much information.
1: (laughs) Love it.
2: No, but, no, just I like to relax, um, you know, sort of, uh, I was lucky to, you know, the clubs I play for, um, Bournemouth, Chillingham particularly, you know, group of lads that, you know, sort of had some good times and uh, we enjoyed ourselves in the dressing room and, you know, it's, yeah, it was serious, but. You know, I like to keep relaxed, think about the things you needed to, but I, I, I didn't get too worked up. Um, you know, before a game, um, so it was just keeping chilled and uh, making sure you know I've got my boots on the right feet and the gloves on my right hand and the shin pads tied in front of the shins and not the around the back. So yeah, just uh, little things like that. Brilliant. Do you ever put? Do you
0: ever put the shoes on on, on the wrong feet? Before a game and then realise.
2: Probably some fans of clubs I played for would probably say my feet were on the wrong boots were on the wrong feet sometimes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Last two quick fire questions, uh, very quick. Righty, Ian Wright or Burkamp?
2: Uh, see, that's. Uh, I thought you were going to ask me earlier who was the best player I ever played with, and I've been, you know, I've uh, I've had interviews and been asked that question, and yeah, Burkham's the best player I've ever seen, and I think Ian Wright would probably say that as well. But you don't win anything with 11 Dennis Bergkamps. uh You know, you need an Ian Wright, you need a Tony Adams, you need a Ray Barlow or a Lee Dixon. Um, you know, but yeah, as, as an individual, you know, I, I was just fortunate enough to to have been with those guys on the same pitch and, you know, the shining ground and seen what they can do day in, day out. Um, and they were both, you know, masters of, of what they did. Right, you know, I've never seen... A, a finisher like Ian Wright, he was you know he was just methodical, bang bang. That he did you know I'd, I'd stand in for you know a shooting session for him and get to the point where it's like what's the point? Is you know he's going to score? So um, you know he was that good. Um, and and then Dennis, what he could do with the ball, he he was he was a magician. So
1: Millsy asked uh, on the players, I'm going to go
2: to the manager,
1: Harry Redknapp or Arsene Wenger.
2: Um, I've got I've got to say Harry because. I didn't actually play um, a, a first team game under Arsene Wenger. You know, I, I was involved with his training, and again, he was he was a master. Uh, he he was he was a coach. Harry was a, you know, just uh, someone he wanted to play for. Uh, you know, um, he he sort of brought me, and I probably owe my you know a lot of my career to Harry. Um, he he brought me down. I was a, a relative unknown at Wolves, a young, uh, inexperienced keeper, and. Harry signed me to play in the first team. So um, whether he, you know, whether he was a better coach, um, you know, I think even Harry had probably met Arsene was probably a better coach. But um, you know, Harry did wonders for my career, and uh, you know, I love playing for him. So you've, you've just mentioned about um, you know starting your
1: career at Wolves. So let's let's take you back to the start of career. Quick fire round is over. Um, you joined Wolves back in 1985. How did that kind of all come about?
2: How did you first sign for them? Crikey, in 1985. You you guys weren't even born were you? Um I was just uh, about, just about. <laughs> yeah. Bro, you, you don't look it. <laughs> um, now, uh, I was I was uh, playing non-league football for a, a team in the Midlands uh, in the what was called the West Midlands League in those days. Um, I joined them at 15, played for their under 15s, under 16s. At 16, I was oh, 15, 16, I was playing in their third team in. What was basically a pub league in in uh, around Dudley and the Black Country, um, learning to look after myself uh, but I was, I was playing sort of three games on a weekend, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. and then I got into the first team. I played four games for uh, Old Swinford's first team in the West Midlands Premier League, which would probably be I don't know Wessex League or something like that, the equivalent um, the equivalent down down south, uh, I would think. Um, and I played four games at the end of the season, did well. And unbeknown to me, uh, Wolves were looking at the centre forward, a lad called Neil Edwards, um, who scored a lot of goals for the club. And um, they invited me in for a trial. I went for a, a, a third-team game, Midland Intermediate League. Uh, used to play, used to be the equivalent now of the youth team. Um, but in those days, you know, pros could play. So I turned up for a trial and Gary Shaw, who'd won the European Cup with with Aston Villa, um, was playing for Villa, and I did all right in the trial game. They invited me to go on tour with them to Holland. Did well. Um, we won the tournament. Didn't hear. Didn't think anything of it. Came back, and then week before pre-season, I got a phone call inviting me into training, and um, they offered me a, a contract. I was still at school. I was doing A levels. Um, I was halfway through my my A levels, um, so they they offered me a contract where it was basically what they called it non-contract terms um but i i'd signed for the club i'd stay at school but i was uh, eligible to play go training uh, any any time i could with them um and and then 12 months later literally uh, the week before my 18th birthday i signed um i signed pro forms um and that was it and then you were at wolves
0: a couple of years but then um you went on on loan to a to a couple of teams uh, <coughs> what, what one of them uh, being one of my local teams cheltenham and and also uh what you said was your childhood team uh, West Brom. Um, have you got any stories from those days that, that you can tell? Um, what was it like being a, a young player going down to a, to a lone team
2: in those days? Yeah. Um, I, I can't remember if, if it was Cheltenham, the first one or Blackpool. Um, had a, uh, day, Cheltenham, um, Jim Barron, who had been the goalkeeping coach at Wolves when he first went to Wolves. Um, he was manager at Cheltenham. Uh, Paul Barron was a goalkeeper. He, He'd had a cartilage operation and they needed someone for a month. So uh, I went in, it, it was in the, com- they were in the conference in those days. Um, so they trained Tuesday, Thursday nights. And, um, you know, that was just a, a chance to get some proper, proper senior football, men's football. Um, you know, it was an eye-opener. Yeah. I think we played Gateshead, first game of the season. Every one of the you know, Gateshead had just got promoted and every single player was six foot four. They were, they were huge, they were massive and uh you know, I, I you know I learned pretty quick. I didn't want to play in the conference. I wanted to be better than that. Um, one of the one of the good uh, memories we had Barrow on a Saturday, and I I lived, I'd say I, I used to live in Starbridge, a place called Starbridge, just off the M5, uh, about an hour north of Cheltenham. So, I arranged to meet the coach. Uh, I think they picked me up about six o'clock. So a lot of the lads, I say they were part-time Cheltenham in those days in the conference. Um, so a lot of the lads worked. I think they left about five o'clock. They picked me up at, in the Midlands at six o'clock. We got to Stoke about seven, half seven, something like that. And the coach broke down. We had to, and uh, he, he just—I think the generator went. He just about managed to pull off the motorway and pull into a hotel. And uh, the next thing, the, the whole squad's in the bar having a few beers and <laughs> waiting for a relief coach to come. Uh, I think we ended up getting a barrow about one o'clock in the morning. A uh, little guest house. Got the next day, and uh, I think we we drew nil nil. But that that was a that was an eye opener. That was that was a, yeah yeah it wouldn't wouldn't happen nowadays with some of these premier clubs definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, Clean
0: sheets after a messy messy night the night before. Oh the, uh, yeah yeah
2: yeah got plenty more of those. <laughs> <laughs> but No, the, it, was, it was a good experience. Uh, Blackpool as well. Going there for two two months, I think it was. Um, you know, just as a young kid. Getting that league experience and trying to make a name for yourself um, and show that you you know you, you're you're capable and you know you you any other managers out there potentially you know, might might sort of want to sign a a young up and coming goalkeeper. West Brom I just went as cover the the uh, the number two goalkeeper um, was was injured um, and uh, for a couple of months, so the, again I just went as cover uh, you know to to the, uh, the, the first-team keeper at the time.
1: Brilliant. So uh, you had your first big transfer leaving Molyneux, uh, Molyneux for my team, AFC Bournemouth, in July 1991. £35,000 the fee back then, back then. How did that move come about? Um, what were the discussions that took place? Did you speak to the manager directly, which I think was <laughs> how he up at that time, or was it agents working through the deal? Agents, um, you're having a laugh, are you? <laughs> agents.
2: <laughs> No, in in those days, um, agents weren't really heard of. Um, <clears throat> I was I was out a contract at Wolves. I, I got into Wolves' first team uh, the last four again the last four games of the season. Um, uh, Mike Stowell had done his cruciate. Tony Langer played a couple of games and not done very well. And um, the the, the Gaffer um, Grant Turner put me in for the last four games of the season. And I, you know I did well. Played Hull, Middlesbrough, Blackburn, and Portsmouth. And you know I. I, I thought I did well um I, well I know I did well um uh, people told me I'd done well and um, I was out of contracting in those days you used to wait the Monday after the last game of the season you used to get a letter recorded delivery telling you whether you're being offered a contract or not and you know I don't mind telling you that I, I was on 100. i I'd been at Wolves six years so I was 22 uh 23 I was on 175 pound a week and uh, the letter dropped in you know and said we're Delighted to offer you a two-year contract, um, £500 a week, and I was like, "Oh my god!" But I knew I knew I was going to turn it down, whatever they they offered, I was going to turn it down because I I, I wasn't going to play regular football. Mike Stahl was, uh, you know, had uh, done really well. He was a really established first-team goalkeeper. I needed to get away to play first-team football. So um, in those days, you, the PFA used to send out, um, that you, they used to call it pink slip, and you just filled it out all your details, your name, your address, your your telephone number Don't think we had internet in those days didn't have email addresses or anything and you just send it off the pfa the pfa sent it to all the clubs and you just waited for the phone to ring i went on holiday came back and it was like well hold on season starts uh, you know training starts in the in a week or so and and then literally got back from holiday and the phone went and this guy i didn't really know the guy uh, the, the name that well you know i was quite naive sheltered and in Midlands football and that, and I didn't know this this guy's name. And uh, the phone went, and this guy said, "Hi, hi, Vince, it's Howard Redknapp, and um, I yeah, you know, I'd, you know, I'd like to talk to you." And so uh, I drove down to Bournemouth. He put me up in a lovely posh hotel on Bournemouth Seafront, uh, the Royal Bath, that's still you know mm-hmm. I sort of drive past it a lot nowadays. And he put me in there for a night and met me, took me for a rush res- a meal to a local restaurant. <clears throat> that he had shares and I found out later I didn't realise till later um, but yeah I had talks with him um, next morning he met me showed me around and he offered me basically what what uh, Bournemouth, uh, what uh, Wolves had offered me and you know I said I won a couple of days went home to think about it but it was a no-brainer you know it was the chance of first team football the fact Bournemouth was a lovely place and he showed me around and you know it was amazing so yeah I, I, I came back I, I accepted um, it went to tribunal I think Wolves wanted two hundred and fifty thousand. I think Bournemouth offered thirty. Was it? I, I I thought it was forty-five or fifty-five um, in the end. And there might be in a couple of add-ons that um, there was a bit more in the end. But yeah, I, you know, um, I, I knew I was you know it was it was for me, um, and it was yeah you know, it was the best decision I made. <clears throat> Although once I signed, I uh, came back down thinking. I'd be in the Royal Bath for, you know, two or three months looking for houses and I ended up in a little guest house around the streets. So, um, yeah, I I learned my lesson very quickly there. And you played 132
1: league games for Bournemouth over, I think it was around four seasons or so. Tell us a little bit about your time with the Cherries. How did you find it? Any particular moments or memories or,
2: or games that stand out for you? Crikey, how long we got? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, I had three years. I signed a three-year deal, basically. Um, I had three years down there. Harry was manager for the first year, um, and then he left. And then Tony Pulis took over. You know, Tony was the assistant to uh, to Harry. Um, and then he took over the, in his first managerial job. I think about five or a couple of months into the season, um, we'd got a, a, a quite an experienced team. People like Kevin Bond, Jimmy Case. Andy Jones, Jimmy Quinn up front. You know Paul Morrell, Mark Morris, Alec Watson. We, we were, and the, you know we were quite experienced, and then a few youngsters just to support. And we we, we had a decent team, and we were doing all right. We, had, we had, didn't have a great start, but you know we knew we were going to improve and get better, and you know we, we were going to be competitive. And I remember we went to Torquay on a Tuesday night, probably October November, and Torquay were bottom of the league. Played really well for ninety four minutes. And then 95th minute, cross comes in and I shout keepers. And then to this day, I, I don't know why, I, I let the ball go, hit the stanchion and went in the top corner. The ref blew for full time and got a four-hour coach journey back from Torquay to think about it. Then went to Swansea on the Friday night and Torquay had gone above Swansea and Swansea were bottom of the league and they absolutely battered us. Uh, again, I, I did all right. I felt I did all right. But we lost 3-1 on the night. Never thought, actually, we came in the players' lounge after and congratulating me on how I performed so I was happy with that but um, yeah uh, you know we'd lost to the bottom team two two games running and then Harry came in the dressing room after the game and basically said he didn't say much but he just um, in, in uh, you know words that I probably can't use here but he sort of <laughs> said to the lads you know this you know, we're in trouble lads this club's like 22 million in debt and I've not been paid for four months, and um, and <laughs> everyone <was> like, oh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was uh, that was the start of things with uh, with Bournemouth, and you would know about that, Simon. Uh, yeah. You know, being a Bournemouth fan, the, you know, going around with the the, the the tubs collecting and stuff like that. You know. We had wages weren't paid for you know months, like two, three months at a time. We didn't get paid. Uh, I remember the you know Tony rang me the one day in the morning and he said uh, look he said uh we've not, i know you've not been paid for I think, seven weeks at the time he said um the the local paper are to it the, the local reporter Derek mcgregor who i still speak to now he's up in scotland now and still speak to him he said "Derek's uh Derek's sniffing around um he said you haven't been paid he said don't worry you will be paid today so uh, all the went into training all the lads gonna get paid gonna get paid so we went out to train and we tr- used to train out by the airport and uh we, got, we came back on the minibus and uh, when we got back, Tony came in the dressing room and said, right, you've, you've all got to go and see the chairman in the boardroom <clears throat> one at a time. So like, what? My turn came and went into the boardroom and there was the, the chairman, Norman Hayward, bless him. Uh, Hello, Vince. And he bent down, he picked up this Sainsbury's carrier bag and pulled oh, down his water money. He there. said, there's, there's this one's wages. Oh, so, yeah, you know, just loads of stories. Um Great times, great great friends I made lads in the team, Keithy Rowland, um, you know sort of Mark Morris, Alec Watson, Paul Woods, Adi Pennock was my roommate. You know just lads I, I still speak to now. Learned a lot. Grew up. I grew up as well. Um, you know I moved away from home. You know being a, in the Midlands, playing for a local team. I, I was around home, around family. You know, and all of a sudden, I'm nearly 200 miles away, three-hour drive in those days. You know, and uh, I, I I grew up, I grew up quickly, and um, you know, enjoyed it down here. I enjoyed my football, but I enjoyed, you know, the social with with the lads, and let's like I say I made friends that I was, you know are still friends today. Fantastic.
1: And you mentioned the change of manager from Harry Redknapp to Tony Pulis. How <laughs> How was that like? How was <clears throat> their style was different?
0: Was there a sort of a, an evidence there of sort of Poulos ball, as I guess they would call it these days? You know, the the classic Tony <clears throat> Poulos team. Did you see that already? Not
2: really. Um, I mean Tony was definitely a different character. You know, Tony, Tony was um, player coach with the, my first year here. Um, you know, and then he, he became the manager the, the the second season, but he's still joining training and you know Tony wouldn't think anything of uh, you know. Coming in, if there was a 50 50, he'd, he'd go in and you know, he'd, he'd make sure he'd come out on top, whereas you know, there's no way Harry would be doing that, so that, that was probably the biggest difference straight away. You know, Tony's, I think it's no secret, you know, Tony's uh ethos in football was if you keep a clean sheet at one end, you, you've only got to score one at the other end. And you know, what I, I played for him at Bournemouth, and then you know, uh, four years later, he signed me at Gillingham, and you know, uh. Uh, you know, he he was you take as you find, and I love playing for Tony. You know, you he, he used to you know the team talks in the dressing room before the game. You know, there's there's uh, you know he talked about podcasts that uh, Gillingham did. Um, there was a TV series following them, and there's footage of Tony in the dressing room, and you know, you, you used to go out. And you know, he he could get you fired up. You know, he used to talk about bone on bone and. We got stitched need, needle and cotton. And we can sew you up. And yeah, come on, come on. You just, you know, just loved it. Loved playing for him. But you know, he he did. He <clears throat> he was a defender. What's quite interesting for me is a lot of you know some of the well-known managers over the years. Uh, you know, people like Steve Coppell was a, was an attacking-minded player, but he's quite defensive as a as a manager. Steve Cottrell was a little bit like that. In, you know, when he first started, he was an attacking player, but he was quite a defensive coach. And then you got others that were quite defensive as managers, uh, as as players. Arsene Wenger was a defensive midfielder, and you know, yeah, he loved attacking football. Tony was a defender, and his his ethos in football was, you know, you defend first and foremost, and let the you know let the forwards get you a goal. Um, you know, and I say uh, to me, there was nothing wrong with that. Very
0: cool. Um, and then so it's 1994. Um, you (coughs) get sold to Arsenal. Um. Now, we also had a debate uh, on our pod at one point about sort of <clears throat> being a third goalkeeper, being a second goalkeeper. When you go into a, a move like that, is it sort of generally understood that you are second keeper to David Seaman, who I guess by that time might have already been established? Or what, what, what do they tell you when, when, when you're going there at that point?
2: Yeah, you, you know he was England's number one. You know he was established as not just Arsenal's number one, England's number one. They just won the European Cup Winners' Cup. Um, they were a uh, you know a top top club. You know I'd, I'd never played at Highbury. I'd been to the only time I'd been to Highbury was to watch West Brom in losing two semi-finals in the uh, in the seventies and eighties. Uh, you know so Highbury wasn't a particularly good place for me. I was very close to moving to Leicester. The, you know, the day that, that Tony Pulis got sacked, um, you know, I left Bournemouth I, you know, until I moved back properly for the last time as a player. Um, you know, I left I left Bournemouth and I was going to Leicester. I was going for talks with Leicester City. Brian Little was the manager who'd given me my debut at Wolves. Um, he was the manager at Leicester. I, I spoke to Leicester the one day, and they were offering me the chance to compete with two three others but it was equal competition and then we drove down to london i met steve uh, the uh, chief scout of arsenal um i'd got an agent by those days i would moved up in the world uh so me, my agent and myself we met steve he drove us uh, from the outskirts uh, london colony where the training ground is we drove into highbury we he did the tour you know all the the classic the tour the the marble halls you know the, the museum, the you know the the trophy room. You know, he dazzled me, and then he, he said, "Right, we'll go meet the manager." And walked into this you know, the biggest office you've ever seen. This big mahogany desk, and there's George Graham, A young man. Come in, sit down. You know, what do you think? I was like, "Oh, it's amazing, amazing." Yeah, well, you know, you know, we, we want you to we want you to come. Um, I've seen I've seen you play. You know, uh, I think you can do the do the job for us. Um. I don't. I don't remember him saying you will be number two, um, but you know I, I knew. I knew the score. So we talked. Talked terms, and then uh, went away. I drove back to the Midlands. Uh, my wife was, was way in there. Uh, she wasn't my wife at the time. She was my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, we basically sort of went. well, Where do we go? And you know, a true story. We went, we went for a walk. Got a dog. Went for a walk in the park. And we got a coin out, and it was, we did the coin toss, and it came that. Oh Leicester best of 3 <laughs> Leicester best of 5 and then then in the end it was, uh, it was it was just that chance to pull on that Arsenal shirt you know I was fortunate enough to do it um you know to do it once um, I was lucky enough to do it 12 times you know actually walk out to the, be on a pitch 12 times I think I played 11 full games and came on just for half time in a league cup game that was my first appearance you know to be involved for four years at that club you know they they get their criticisms and they're not having the best of times but like i said earlier you know the the saying once a gooner always a gooner and you know to me it's uh it's it's a great club it's a class place you know i've been back the last few years with you know sort of teams and there's still people that you know remember you and say hello and uh, you know it, it's uh yeah yeah it's uh it's a proper club I and mean, that coin toss was the best thing I ever did. Well yeah fortune favours brave
1: sometimes so it sounds like uh, fate fate played you a good hand on that occasion. So yeah so you had a few seasons at Arsenal, also had loan spells during that time with Huddersfield and Gillingham uh, before being signed by Gillingham fully in 1998, made over 200 appearances, reached two division two playoff finals, first one losing to City and the second one beating Wigan, tell us what those days were like with, with Gillingham and getting
2: to those playoff finals.
1: Uh, firstly, I should probably uh, mention that was Manchester City
0: that Mason was referring to there.
2: Yeah, not Colchester. Uh, no, that's not, uh, you know, Chester City. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, this is, I'm going kind to of upset Simon now. Um, you know, I loved, I had great time at Bournemouth. Um, you know, I loved my time there. But Gillingham, just, uh, the. I had the best six years. Um, You know, the best squad of players, no superstars. um, You know, people didn't like, you you talk about stars of play, you know, uh, Tony Peary's sort of, we went there, had 12 months with him and then he left in dubious circumstances. And then, uh, you know, Peter Taylor took over, Hesse took over, but people didn't like going to Gillingham. Um, it's, It's a bit of a trek, it's a bit out of the way. It's in the middle of a house in the it's not very nice. You know, the ground's OK, the ground's fine, but the surroundings are not so nice. Um, but, I, you know, I just had the best time. Um, again, a squad of players, like I say, no real names, no massive names. But, boy, you know, we've got some good players. And, you know, on our day, we could give anyone a game. Um, you know, we, we went to Highbury, uh, fourth round of the FA Cup. And, you know, with 75 minutes gone, we're 2-2. OK, Arsenal had rested a couple of players, um, but there was still, you know, Tony Adams, Ray Parler, Sylvan Wiltord, Franny Jeffers, you know, there was a good team. And like I say, it was 2-2 after 75 minutes. And uh, and then we looked over and he brought a couple of subs on that weren't bad, Thierry Henry and a lad called Perez and... You know, 15 minutes later, we walked off 5-2 down. But that, you know, that was it. We'd you know, we, we got a good a good squad of players. We could give anyone a game. Yeah, I, you know, I love my time at Gillingham. It, it was proper. You, t- you talk about Tony Pulis. We, um, we used to train uh, with him and he used to get myself. And we got two forwards, a lad called Bob Taylor, who went on to Man City and Wolves, uh, you know, had a couple of big, big money moves. And uh, another lad called Carlos Arba that played for Sheffield United. And sort of championship league one uh, sort of clubs and they, they worked as a partnership and tony used to get those two in and myself and the, the the young goalkeeper and he'd just work on them sort of combination play so he'd play a ball into bob who would lay it off for sobs to finish and obviously i'm in goal and we do that for an hour and then after an hour bob and sobs would go home and the rest of the lads would come walking out the train and he'd have Tony would have like running drills and you know defending drills and stuff. And he used to call used to call us the Eggers. He said you were the Eggers. He said you're going to work hard. You're going to graft. You're going to scrap. You're going to get you know sort of elbows and keep a clean sheet. As if you do that, they're the cream. And those two are going to score you a goal. And that that like I say that was his ethos. And you know, we we used to we used to thrive on it. I remember playing Stoke and um, we were having the ground redeveloped. <laughs> and uh, we'd be changing these tiny little changing rooms around the back. And uh, Stoke, we came out of Stoke and Stoke with these big lads. And we carried, come on, come on the Eggers, come on here, We used to call ourselves here. you could see Stoke, like, look at us, like, what the hell are we playing here? And they had a, they had a lad called Stig Johansson. I think he was in Icelandic there, captain. And A.D. Panic was absolutely, you know, like, great lad, the, the joker of the pack. And he came up with his stick your hands up and he said, stick your hands up. So we all went, way, stuck around, you know, like say, stuck a look at, you know, we we beat them 4-0. They just they didn't know what we were you know, what they were playing and. You know, that's why it was just great, great times. And like I say, memory, for so I should write a book really. Right? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> hey guys, Milsey here. I know you're enjoying the interview with Big Vince but I'm afraid we're going to have to cut it short for this week. We're having so much fun. We lost track of time, and we're going to have to split it over two weeks. But tune in next week for part two of our interview with former Premier League goalkeeper Vince Bartram. Uh, for now, here is episode four of Anorak versus Anorak.
1: welcome back ladies and gentlemen once again to anorak versus anorak it's the feature that the people have been talking about for weeks the score is three 0 to Milzy. louis welcome back once again how you doing mate i'm doing I'm, I'm absolutely devastated so far i, I can't sleep at night i I'm, I'm, i i need to restore some pride this is huge now i'm three nil down at half time let's go Milsey, confident
0: I've never been confident. I I feel like I'm really pushing my luck by
1: having three so far. So um, long may it continue. Okay, well, let's see how you guys fare in today's round. Now, in today's round, neither of you were born. So neither of you can use this. I wasn't born yet. Excuse. We are today looking at the World Cup 1966. And the first question is going to be a fastest finger. So get your hands on your buzzers. Get ready to shout your name. In fact, today you're going to shout the opponent's name, but I'll still ask you just to confuse you and throw a little bit of mix up. So Jeff Hurst famously scored a hat trick in the 1966 World Cup final, but who scored the other goal for England? Lu- so Millsy kind of said Louis. So Millsy, what's your answer? Boogers. Um, I want to say uh,
0: I'm going to go Bobby Moore. Why not Millsy? Oh.
1: Bobby Moore is incorrect, and Nick and uh, Louis has shouted Millsy. Louis. He's ruined himself with his own rules. He takes- Peters. Martin Peters is correct. Louis gets off to a flying start. He's 1-0 up today. Let's see if he can carry that through into the next question, which is gonna be a silent bid again. So get ready to write down your answer onto a piece of paper. What was the attendance at the nineteen sixty-six World Cup final? I'm ready to go anywhere, Melzy. Same thing. Okay, gentlemen, if you'd like to raise up your answers. I've gone for 75,000. I've gone for 120,000. I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle again, because I I was going to go higher. It was in the days of Wembley when they didn't really count tickets. Yeah. Yep, so you're both right. It is somewhere in the middle again. It is the famous scenes of uh, people even standing on the field. Everybody just slammed in. But how many did they fit? Well, the answer is... 96,924. By my maths, it gives the point to Louis with about 21,000 out, while Louis is about 23,000 out. It's ridiculously close, that one. That couldn't be more in the middle, barely, but I'll take it. I'll take it. Louis is up into a 2-0 lead, and with only one point available for the last question, it's going to be difficult for Millsy to come back into it today. This is his fastest finger again. Uh, You can say your own name this time. Who won the third, fourth playoff match in 1966? Louis. Yeah. Portugal. Portugal is the correct answer. They beat the Soviet Union. We've got our first ever clean sweep, Louis. I'm actually not sure we do. I think Millsy might have clean sweeped me previously. But I'll take the accolade. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) And a bit of pride restored. I believe my, my largest winning margin so far was, was two zero. I I think uh, if I had gotten the Ashley Cole in seven uh, a few weeks ago, I I would have got it then. And as you can, as you can tell, the fact that I I still know that means that it has been eating away at me and, and it has managed to, and uh, my prediction last week has has literally come true. My worst nightmare has been realized Louis has shown up and he has trounced
1: me well and truly. I can I, 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 I can finally sleep. I've got three weeks of sleep to catch up on, actually. So I'm I'm I, I can breathe a sigh of relief. Louis, congratulations! You're back in the game. The score is three-one. Join us again next week for Anorak versus Anorak. Thank you very much, guys. Have an excellent week.
0: Cheers. And that, sadly, was part four of our anorak versus anorak series louis has pulled back a point finally mason he has decided to show his worth i i told you several weeks ago i think he's luring me into a false sense of security
1: maybe this is it maybe i am in that phase right now what do you think there's only going to be one way to find out milsey isn't there all the hearers and myself are going to join in next week to hear will you pull it back to four one will louis Small in the gap to three two let's see. I'm enjoying it so far, and I absolutely loved the interview earlier, or at least part one of it. What did you think uh, i it, it couldn't have it couldn't have gone better as as I said you know it's it's
0: just part one. there is a whole other part two which was equally as awesome to come, but you know fo- follow us on on facebook twitter instagram we're on all, all the uh, social media sites. get on there and and don't miss part two because you will be missing
1: out. Awesome. Join us next week, guys. And you giving us an update on Perfect Picks? Yeah, good idea. Perfect Picks. So we've got our Football Husnani Premier League Perfect Picks League, which many of you at home have joined in with. And we wanted to give a shout out to Darren Addy, who is number one after two Premier League weeks. And um, there's also some a familiar name in second place, isn't, isn't there, Millsy? Um, I believe it is actually me. Um, and I think you'll find actually
0: in terms of the whole league the whole game i'm actually number six so well in with a chance of winning that uh i think it's 250 and fifty dollar jackpot for the august september games tune in stay tuned to see uh how i actually do in that can mason catch me up very
1: unlikely but um you know He's given his, his best, the poor old boy. I am. and But not only that, not only is Millsy in such a superb position, but we're also second place in the League of Leagues. So all our hearers keep on tipping, keep on predicting, keep on great getting great scores, and we'll see what happens come the end of the season. Absolutely.
0: But as we say, follow us on socials. Keep up with us. Um, we We post updates on the leagues every now and then. So... Get on those and keep up to date because we want to hear from you. And I think
1: that wraps it up for today, Si. What do you reckon? I think it does. Yeah. Awesome. Part one of the interview. I look forward to next week. Me too. I can't wait. Cheers,
0: guys. Hear you next week.